Genesis chapter 18. You know, there was a time um, when almost without exception, on holidays I would preach a Bible message related to that holiday. Could have, that special occasion could be Christmas, could be Mother's Day, could be Labor Day. That's a good Bible doctrine, by the way, the blessing of labor, right? And we've covered that numerous times. Could be Memorial Day. It's good to remember things. These are good Bible things to remember. But I don't always do that because I don't really think I ought to let holidays determine, you know, what we preach. You know what I'm saying? Because we, God may have something else for us. But today I am going to do that. And I'm going to look at, at uh, a very famous father in the Bible by the name of Abraham, one of our great hymns, Father Abraham. We're not going to sing that today, <laughs> but <laughs> all of you, somebody already doing it, right? But, uh, but we're going to look at this together, and we're going to read in chapter 18 of Genesis. And if you're able to stand, please stand with us. We're going to read this passage, sort of introduce the context as we go through it and have prayer together. Verse 16 of Genesis 18 says, And the men rose up from thence. These men that it's referring to were messengers from heaven. Two of them were angels. One of them, I'm convinced, was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. These men, verse 16, rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, which instantly triggers our mind to think of the immorality of that region, Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 16 says, And Abraham went with them, with those men, to visit them, or to bring them, excuse me, on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, referring to Abraham, the Lord says, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, not just his children, but those who are in his home, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they, those in his home, shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men, talking about the two angels, turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. In verse 23, And Abraham drew near to the Lord and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Let's pray, Father. Father, we pray today that you would bless the service, bless the word of God to our lives. Give us open hearts and minds. 
Help us to be attentive. Help us not to look at things sometimes as I do. Lord, I've read verses. We're fairly familiar with them, and we, we read them as though we already know what they're saying. But I pray you'd give us an openness, a reception to your word. And I pray you'd help all of us. Help those who are here today who are fathers or grandfathers. But I'll help all of us to re recognize the importance of our life, the testimony of our life, the influence we can have in our life as we read here in this text. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I feel like it'd be good this morning to begin with just sort of a refresher on this man Abraham. Abraham is known above all things as being a man of faith. Uh, God spoke to Abraham when he lived in a place called Ur. The Ur it, it says the Ur of the Chaldees, and that is where modern-day Kuwait is. Now, you just have to think about this. Out of a world of idolatry, and we read in the Bible about the idolatry that was a part of his growing up, God spoke to one man and said, I have a special plan for you. I have a place for you. I want you to leave this and go to where I want you to go. And he followed the Lord. And that Hebrew nation came from that call of God upon Abram and his obedience to God. They didn't go directly to Canaan, the land that God was directing them to. They went to a place called Haran, or Haran, H-A-R-A-N. But when Abraham was 75, think about this. God spoke to him again and moved him from where he was to the land of Canaan, the land of promise that the Israelites to this day still occupy. And when Abraham got there, talking about Abraham being a man of faith, he began to build altars in the name of the Lord. He was a worshiper of Jehovah God. There was a time in his life when he and uh, his nephew Lot uh, they were having a famine in Israel, and they went to Egypt for a little time. This is all relevant to the, what we're talking about today. When they were in Egypt, they came out of Egypt, and the famine was over. God had blessed them so much there that they separated, and Lot chose a very desirable, humanly speaking, a very desirable place to raise his family. And the Bible says it was in the plains, well-watered plain, and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Eventually, Lot, the nephew, lived in Sodom. He lived in Sodom, and then he actually was found in the gates of Sodom. He became a part of that Sodomite culture. Later on, Sodom was captured by a confederation of, of uh, armies and taken captive, and, and Abraham went and rescued him. And when he rescued, I'm talking about Abraham was a man of faith. When he rescued him, he, wor he worshiped after he rescued him and gave tithes to Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Everything about this man, Abraham, talks about his faith. And after all that happened, God spoke to Abraham again. And the Bible says that Abraham believed in the Lord and it counted him for righteousness. And if you'll just flip the page to the left, maybe in Genesis 17, 1, fast forward in Abraham's life, he's now 99 years old. And God speaks to him again. God talks to him and directs Abraham and, and Abraham worshiped the Lord. Now in Genesis 18, 1, 
the Lord appears to him again in the plains of Mamre. He was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. Imagine this, sitting in your tent, Abram is now 99 years old, and these three messengers come to his tent. Two of them are angels, and I said, one of them I'm sure is the Lord. They came on a journey. Now this is fascinating to me. They came on a journey to go to Sodom because God was about to judge the wickedness of Sodom, but on their way to Sodom, they personally made a visit to Abraham's tent. Imagine that, leaving heaven, going to Sodom, and you have one person that you're going to go see, and that's Abraham. And he, he stood, the Bible says, before the Lord in chapter 23. And we're not going to talk about his intercession, but in I mean, verse 23 of chapter 18, he drew near and began to pray for the, the, the residents of Sodom. He says, first of all, Abraham said, if there's 50 righteous people there, are you going to judge those 50 righteous people? And God said, if there's 50 righteous, I won't judge. And then he said, well, what if there's 45 righteous? What if there's 40 righteous? Well, what if there's 30 righteous? What if we can find 20 righteous people? What if there are only 10 righteous people? And we see this picture of Abraham interceding, praying, asking God to be merciful because he had a concern for Sodom. His nephew Lot lived there. But I say all of that to say what an example Abraham is as a man of faith, even, even as he's approaching 100 years old. His promised son, Isaac, has not been born yet, but he is still trusting in the Lord. And that brings us back to our text today in chapter 18 of Genesis, when God said in verse 17, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do. I, I could not include, I could not include Abraham in what I'm about to do. This, is, this speaks of the relationship that Abraham had with the Lord and the Lord had with Abraham. By the way, it says in verse 19, for I know him. I know Abraham. You know, God knows everyone, right? There's nothing about you that God does not know. God knows everything about us. He knows everything about everyone. My wife and I were coming across uh, the river bottoms in southeastern Missouri yesterday and where the Ohio River and the Mississippi River meet and we were taking this little detour through the country and, and I said to her, you ever think about how everywhere you go and you look at a little house and you see these people who are living in their homes that God knows every one of them, everything about them. God knows Everyone, but God knew Abraham in a special way. In the book of Isaiah, we're not going to turn to that, but in Isaiah, this is what the Bible says. God says, Abraham, my friend. Imagine that, being known as God's friend. So having said all of that in Genesis chapter 18, God said this, I know him in verse 19 that he will command his children and his household after him. He'll command his children and his household after him. And all the things we can say about Abraham, and we just mentioned a few of them, 
building altars alone in a pagan place. God speaking to him directly and saying, look up at the stars and your descendants will be like that. All the things that Abraham went with had long, with, with his life of faith was this matter that God said he will be a spiritual leader to those in his home. And I think it's important for us today to pause and think about that. You know, about Abraham, but also about our own life. He had a personal relationship with God. He, he, would, he was going to lead. He, you know, he, he had an influence on generations to follow but he was praying, and he was praying for his extended relatives, for his nephew Lot and their family. But he's going to lead his own family in a spiritual way. And I just want to say today how much I thank God for people, men and women, fathers and mothers, grandparents, who lead their children in a godly way. We, we often, my wife and I often meet People, as we have this past couple of weeks and we do in our own neighborhood, our own church family, people who at a certain stage in their life when really they would normally be without children and yet they're raising grandchildren and helping them. I thank God for people who are influencing and desiring to influence their family in a positive way. Let me say something about Abraham that I think needs to be understood. Abraham was not a perfect man. He had his own flaws. He had his own failures. Matter of fact, because one time he was afraid that the Egyptians might take his wife, he lied and said, she's my sister. He wasn't perfect, but still he was, God said, I know he's going to command his children and his household after him. You know, sometimes we may think that our role as guardians of children, as influencers of the next generation that our goal is too difficult, that it's, it's above us, but I'm telling you, we have an important task. I know it's Father's Day, but I can't help but think of my mother who raised three boys as a single parent, and she gave us more than just a home and a meal. She gave us an example. She showed us the, the importance of living for God. And young people, if you're sitting here and hearing my voice today, and I know a lot of our young people are in the other building, you have a mom or a dad that brings you, you to church or cares about spiritual things and tries to point you in a good direction, don't be guilty of saying, well, they're not perfect. None of us are. Amen. But you ought to be thankful for the leadership and example that they are. So despite his faults, Abraham was a spiritual leader. Notice what it says in verse 19, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. He will, they will follow after him. That's talking about his influence. In how, how God can use us as unfit vessels as we sometimes think ourselves to be, that God can use us. And, you know, children need to be taught. Children need to be instructed. Children need to be, to be, to be given the truth, but they also need a good example. They need to, and that's what it's talking about there. He will command his children and his household after him. Children need an example. You know, there are many things in this post-Christian culture, and I, we live in a post-Christian culture. And there are many things in this post-Christian culture that are heartbreaking uh, to me, and I'm telling many of us, and this is one of them, how children with godly parents dismiss that heritage, 
they reject the opportunity to learn from their parents or grandparents. So it says in verse 19, I know him that he will command, I have that word underlined in my Bible, he will command his children and his household. That doesn't mean he's going to be a tyrant. That doesn't mean he's going to be a dictator. But it means he's going to tell them. He's going to instruct them. He's going to show them. Being a good example is important. But, but being a good example does not minimize the importance of teaching them. We're to instruct and command our children. He, he, God says, I know him. This was not a negative thing about Abraham. It was a positive thing. I know him. He will command his children and his household after him. And I say it again. It's a great blessing. It is a great blessing to have someone in your life, a mom, a dad, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, someone who will command you in the sense of teaching and instructing you and telling you what's right. That's a great blessing. I thank God for it in my own life. The mother that I had, the grandparents that I had, I thank God for that. So these two things go together, by the way. Instruction and example. And we find them both in our text in verse 19. Teaching, instructing, giving them an example. And, it, and both are important. They shouldn't have to stand alone. It's one thing to have a good example. It's another thing to have teaching, but it's a good thing to have both. And if we don't have both, if we have teaching without the example, we don't have balance. If we have an example without the teaching, it's going to be less than it ought to be. But we need the example. I, I was reminded this morning of this familiar quote, what you do speaks so loud I can't hear what you say. We need to say the right thing, but we ought to live the life. You say, well, what if I make a mistake? Then admit it, confess it, acknowledge it, and then go forward. And so today I challenge fathers, as I do mothers and grandparents, to be a good example, but also to be an instructor. I thank God for the influence of the church. I thank God for the influence of the church in our life, my wife and I and our children, and our, and our grandchildren now. I thank God for the, my wife and I went to, went to church together when we were about 14 years old or so, 13, 14. I sat in church with her and never thought about her. All I thought about was the Bible. That's not exactly true. <laughs> But I'm glad we were in church together. It's a good part of our history. It's a good part of our story. And the church exists right now. Many of you have children next door or other places in this building being instructed. So the church exists to aid in the teaching and training of children. The Christian school the same way. The home. But the primary responsibility lies squarely on the shoulders of moms and dads. And we need to be reminded about that. I'll, I'll remind you of a troubling thought today. The world is full of teachers and examples, many of them poor, that are clamoring for the attention of our children. That's media, that's social media, that's entertainment. And I say this from time to time, and I'm going to keep saying it. We live in a world that is more and more society and culture that's hostile toward the truth. And if you can't see that, your head must be in the sand. So we need to be giving them the right example. 
And we need to be giving them instruction. And we need to be giving them not only the truth, but speaking the truth in love. The, the, the enemies of our children and the enemies of truth are passionate and persistent in their propaganda. We need to be just as passionate. We, want to, no, we make no bones about it. We want to pass the truth down to the next generation. It's not just for us. We don't just live for us. And that's really what Abraham is a picture of. Because he didn't just say, Abraham just didn't just trust God and live by faith and know the truth. He, he passionately wanted to pass that on to the generations, to those that followed him. And I believe that's alluded to in our text. God help us not only to take that responsibility seriously, but to be successful in it. We're not, we, we've, we consider, and most of you would know this, but it's good to have it refreshed in our mind, we're not just into religion. We're not just into coming to church and acting like a certain thing on one day and living for ourselves the rest of the time. We want the truth of God's word to permeate our lives, to be a practical truth that's lived out day by day in everything that we do, and that's what we're about doing. We're not training our children to fit into this world. We're training our children knowing they're going to live in a world that's antagonistic toward much of what we believe. We heard about that this morning in the good lesson in Sunday school. Abraham was a man of faith. He lived in a pagan culture. He lived, Abraham lived where his neighbors sacrificed their, their babies to false gods. He lived in a place where they worshiped the sun and the moon. He lived in that culture. And yet he was standing for the word of God. He was a man of faith who built altars and prayed to God. And I think we can learn from his faith in the way he lived his life. And his influence would be seen in his following generation. Look in verse 19, for I know him. That he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. His children and household will keep the way of the Lord. This is the dream. This is the desire of every Christian parent. You know, the further we get down the road, we realize, we clearly realize we're closer to the finish line than we were at the starting blocks, right? And by the grace of God, we want to finish our race well. I don't want to. I don't want to forsake the Lord or forsake the truth or bring disgrace to the Lord's name at this stage of my life. But we want to see others, not because of us, but because of the Bible, because it's true that will keep the way of the Lord. You know, in this text we're looking at in Genesis 18, I hope you have your Bible open there. We see clearly that Abraham's influence would continue for future generations. Look in verse 19. I've already read part of it. I'm going to read the whole thing again. God says, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. His household, that's an important word. That's talking about his servants. It's not talking about just his children. His children and his household. 
Those, he, those right in his sphere of influence, he's going to command them. He's going to expect them. He's going to teach them. He's going to be example to them. I, it doesn't say this, but to me, what it implies in a practical way to my life is we ought to realize that our lives can influence other people. Amen. For good or for bad. And this is future tense where it says in verse 19, They shall keep the way of the Lord to do judgment and justice, or justice and judgment, excuse me, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Now that's a lot really maybe to digest in just a moment or two. But God made these great promises to Abraham. We'll talk about it more during just a moment. Those promises would not, would not be fulfilled in Abraham's life. They'd be fulfilled in the future. And it says that he will teach his children and his household, and they shall keep the way of the Lord and do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken to him. So all that God promised him would not come to pass in his life. And that way, you see this in other places in the Bible. David had a great passion to build a house for the Lord, but the Lord says, you're not going to do it. But your son will do it. And sure enough, his son Solomon did that. So, so I, I think this causes us to think beyond ourselves. That there are things that we may do, we may pray for, things that we, there may be paths that we trod that others hopefully will be influenced by. And I, I think it's really worth thinking about because sometimes we think, well, it's just my life. It doesn't affect anybody else. But that's not true. It's not true. I was meditating and thinking last night and today about, I knew, I knew uh, three of my great-grandparents, great-grandmothers. Uh, this one was, was my dad's grandmother on my, so my dad's mother's mother. Her name was Lula Hayes. And to us, she was Granny Hayes. And... The most common fixed memory I have of her was her sitting, reading her Bible in the window in front of the old frame house, the farmhouse, where she was living with her uh, daughter and her daughter's husband, which was my grandfather. Granny Hayes told people she died when I was about 11 or 12. Granny Hayes told people that I was going to be a preacher. Now, I should tell you also that she had a crystal ball. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she had a great relationship. She was a Methodist lady. had a great relationship with the Lord. She's the first person that I know of who she knew I was going to be a preacher before I knew I was going to be a preacher. And my mother knew that. My mother would tell when my wife and I weren't even living in the same house, though we were married because our marriage was so shaky, my mother would tell her, God's going to get a hold of him, and one of these days he's going to be a preacher. Now, I'm just using that example of how sometimes we think about, you know, our life is just about us. No, it's about those who follow us. That we, you know, I often wonder sometimes if maybe the life that we are living, my wife and I are living, it's not just for us. It, it was because of other people, and it's also for people who, who will come behind us. That's the way we ought to look at life. 
Not just our little window, and, and there's too much of this in our culture of people just thinking, well, it's just my life. It doesn't affect anybody else. No, it's not going to matter to anybody else. That is not true. We, as parents, we ought to look at our children and say, we want to pray for them and live for them and give them the truth and instruct them and be a good example for them, not just for us, but for them and for those who will follow them. That's what we see in Abraham's life. I want you to go with me from Genesis chapter 18. And we, may, we will come back to this, I think. But go to the book of Psalms for a moment because there's a couple of verses in Psalms I want to ask you to look at with me for a moment. Psalms 112. These are, these are important. They're all important things. Some of my favorite verses. I say that because I've, I've, had to, I've heard George White, our missionary to South Africa, preach twice in the last few months. Both times in the message, he says, I want you to look at a passage that's one of my favorites. He says, Brother Smith, every passage is one of my, his favorites. But this is one of my favorites. Psalm 112 and verse 1 says, Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Now this is not talking about Abraham. This is talking about people who fear the Lord. There are many people in this room that would describe. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, respects God, has an awesome Biblical respect and reverence for God and that delighteth greatly in God's commandments. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and delights in the word of God. I hope that describes you. And then it says in verse 2, his seed, his children, his offspring, his descendants shall be mighty upon earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. That's a great promise. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. We want our children to be blessed. We want our grandchildren to be blessed. And if you, if I, I think I could make a strong argument today for the fact that children benefit from parents who live godly lives. And if you're sitting here as a teenager, a child, and you're you're thinking about how you're going to live life, I, w I would pray that God would put this into your heart today, that your children will benefit by the godly life that you live. I believe the Bible teaches that. Now, it doesn't mean that children don't have to make their own choices. Children have to make their own choices, and sometimes they won't make the right choices. But I'm just telling you, it's good for us as parents to realize there's something more we can do for our children than just make a paycheck and pay the bills and provide a home and make sure they have food to eat and tennis shoes to wear. There's something more that we can do for them. I'm not saying those things don't matter. Those things are important. But one of the greatest things we can do for them is fear God and delight greatly in His commandments. Go back, if you would, please, and we'll wrap this up in Genesis chapter 
18, back to Abraham. Notice what it says in verse 18. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. Keep in mind that when this was being taken place, Isaac hadn't even been born yet. That's the seed of promise. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. All the nations of the... Now, you might, might have never thought about this, but you might be asking, how, how is that possible? Is that possible? Is that possible that all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of Abraham and through Abraham? And the, the answer is absolutely yes. Matter of fact, if you're here and you're saved... Romans says that you and I can look as, at Abram as, and here's a quote, the father of us all. Amen. We're all related to Uncle Abe. You know why? Because Abraham believed God. He was a man of faith, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and his faith. Now, just I'm not trying to exaggerate, embellish, but his faith has impacted us. Absolutely. And I'm not, the Bible says that. By faith, Abraham and Sarah were able to have a son in their old age. He was 100. Took a miracle, right? And it was through that child, through the lineage of Abraham, that Jesus was born. He was a descendant of Abraham and Sarah. And it was through that that the Savior came to this earth. And so we, by faith, are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, which makes us spiritually related to Abraham. Amen. There's so much in that to think about. But one thing, according to this passage that I think about that relates to all of us today in our own way, is that we are the inheritance of spiritual blessings because of the faith of one man a long, long time ago. We're not, I'm not Abraham. You're not Abraham. God's plan is different for all of us. But were it not for his faith, we would have all been affected. Right? You can't ignore that. His faith didn't save me, but his faith led to the birth of the Savior who saved us. If you're here today, listen, if you're here today, Abraham can't save you, but Jesus can save you, and Jesus will save you. And when you get saved, you become an heir of the blessing that was promised to Abraham that I, I read it to you again all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him aren't you glad you're saved today aren't you glad for people before you who live by faith I appreciated the Sunday school lesson so much this morning and one thing that was brought out about those people in Peter's generation as he's writing this epistle was there were no second and third generation Christians in that group. They were people who had been saved because they'd heard the gospel. But ever since people 
from the New Testament era until now, people have been influencing others through their life. And I am indebted to people before me who loved God and lived for God. And you know what? You may be sitting here today thinking, I've already said it in a different way, but you may be sitting here today thinking, you know, I've wasted too much of my life. I've made too many mistakes. I've ruined my example. And by the way, all of us have probably felt that way at some point in time in our life. But I want you to know something today based on God's truth. It's not too late for you to positively influence those who follow you. Don't give up on your example. And if there's someone in the world that can look at you and say, you know, my father, my grandfather, my mother, my aunt, my uncle, my neighbor, because of them, I really understand that God is real, that God can be trusted, that God can change your life, then that in itself makes life worth living that we can influence someone else. So first of all, are you saved? Do you know you're saved? Do you know you're going to heaven? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? And if you haven't, this lesson is for you. Because you can be saved. You can know Christ. You can be forgiven of your sins. Not by putting your faith in Abraham, but by putting your faith in Jesus who came from the loins of Abraham on a human level. God is his father. We know that. He had no human father, but he came to bring salvation, and he came through the lineage of Abraham. If you don't know him, you need him today. The, the father that we've sung about today and worship today, he, he loves his children. He cares for you. He wants to be a part of your life. You ought to put your faith and trust in him today. And if you're saved, and I'm not just talking to dads, I'm talking to moms and dads and teenagers. If you're saved, God can use your life to influence others. My prayer today is, not that we'd try to be like anybody else, but we would be what this says about Abraham's children and those of his household, that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. And my prayer is that all of us who are saved would determine today by the grace of God we're going to keep the way of the Lord. And God may come today I'm looking for him every day of my life to return. But if he doesn't, one of these days, we'll finish our journey. He may come after we're gone. But wouldn't it be great if somebody somewhere is keeping the way of the Lord because of our influence in their life? Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Many things in this passage challenge me. I'm challenged just by the simple phrase that it speaks of God speaking of Abraham. It says, for I know him. God knows us. He knows us. 
And I hope when he looks at us and sees us that he knows that we're going to, by the grace of God, we're going to command our children after us. We're going to try to influence those who follow us. And if that hasn't been a part of your passion, why not adopt that today as a part of your purpose in life? Our Father, as we pray today, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the example that Abraham was. And Father, I thank you for the Bible that shows us the blemishes and the mistakes and the moments of unbelief that Abraham struggled with. It helps us know that he was human like we are. God, what a difference. What an example he was and is to us. And Father, I pray today on this Father's Day that those of us who are here who are dads or grandfathers or responsible for influencing the lives of young people in some way, those who are single moms and those who are standing before you as Abraham stood before you to pray, God, use us to make a difference, we pray. We, we're not here, Lord that people would know us, but we want people to know you. So use us in our own way, I pray today. And I do pray today for people in this room that aren't saved. God, that today you'd work in hearts and draw people to yourself.